welcome to all our guests and uh, to all our brethren around the world. Thank you, Sandra Purdy, for that beautiful vocal on holy ground. As Mr. Crockett was mentioning, we're rejoicing in the autumn season with the golden red and crimson leaves all about us. Uh, God's creation just blazes with these glorious colors and contrasts. Reminded me a poem by Joyce Kilmer. I thought Joyce was a woman, but I was surprised to find otherwise. Uh, Joyce Kilmer wrote the famous poem titled Trees. He was actually Alfred Joyce Kilmer and published the poem in 1914. And as an Army sergeant in World War I, Kilmer was killed on a battlefield in France at the age of 31 on July 30, 1918. I was surprised to learn that he was buried next to Lieutenant Oliver Ames, who was killed the day before. As far as I know, he's not related to me. But here is Kilmer's poem titled Trees. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain, Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Well, the Sabbath reminds us of God's creation, and only God can make a tree. Mr. Crockett was talking about the olive tree. I just uh, thought, reminded me of the psalm here. I'll just turn to it for your uh, edification, Psalm 92, that you can think about, and another analogy of, of trees. It's not my subject today, but... I thought it would be helpful. I remembered when we were in Hawaii at the city of refuge on the island, the big island of Kauai, uh, of Hawaii, and uh, there were palm trees around that Sabbath in the lagoon. It was called the city of refuge, and I remember reading this scripture, Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, and all these palm trees around. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. We have a cedar in Lebanon planted by our house, uh, supposedly only one of two in all of North Carolina, as far as we know. Those that be planted in the house of the eternal, which we heard uh, in the song, shall flourish in the courts of our God. And, oh, I really like this next one. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age, and they shall be fat and flourishing. So, again, that was very encouraging for me to read that this morning to show that the eternal is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So God wants us to live long. We are his creation, and as it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. And, of course, the word for workmanship is the Greek poema, which means can mean his work of art. We are God's work of art. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for those beforehand that we should walk in them. So God can only make a tree, but God can also make, also did make man in his own image. And only God can reveal truth. And it's God's truth that is his gift to us. As we learn the truth, we walk in the truth, we live in the truth, we become more like him. Let's turn to Third John. Third John, John spoke quite a bit about the truth, as he, even in the Gospel of John, as well as in First, Second, and Third John. But here in Third John, he says in verse two, "Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly." When the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in truth. So John was very pleased that God's people were walking in the truth and that they had truth in them. What makes God's people special is not only that they're learning the truth, but they practice the truth. They walk in the truth. In the previous sermon titled, Treasure the Truth, we saw just how special God's people are. Out of six and a half billion people on the earth, perhaps only one out of a hundred thousand 
understands God's spiritual truth. That makes you and me and those who understand the truth very, very special. Let's turn to 1 Peter, the uh, second chapter, 1 Peter 2. As we saw last time in that sermon uh, about three months ago, we realize that God is going to preserve the earth because there is an elect. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, he said in Matthew, the 24th chapter. God's people are so special that God is going to preserve the earth from total cosmicide. Here in 1 Peter, the second chapter, again, he tells us how we are special. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the world is in spiritual darkness, but God has called us to be the light of the world. And to be that light, we need to treasure the truth. We need to live the truth. We need to understand God's revelation, the truth, and as we understand it, we apply it in our own lives. This sermon is actually part two of Treasure the Truth, and the title of today's sermon is Live the Truth. I want to review a little bit of what we covered last time in Treasuring the Truth. Let's turn to John, the 17th chapter, John 17. We want to, first of all, define what is the truth. And Jesus, in his prayer to the Father the night before he was crucified, mentioned this, and this is so inspiring in more ways than one. Well, we can start with verse 15 of John 17. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil or the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And then in verse 19, he says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So God has set you apart as a special holy nation, a special people, or in the King James says peculiar people, but in the New King James it's special people, a royal priesthood he calls us. So we are very special, but we are sanctified. How? By the truth. And God's word is truth. James 1, verse 17, I guess I read this about every other sermon because it's so important and so special to our identity and our purpose and mission and who and what we are regarding the truth. James 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Of his own will, God the Father knew you, knows you. And because he knows you, he said of his own will, he decided to choose you, to call you, and to, as you repented and were baptized and received the Holy Spirit, to beget you as his son or his daughter. And that begettle was how? Through the Holy Spirit. But what does he say here? And this is the King James. The New King James says brought forth, but the King James is a little more particular and specific. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Pentecost is the feast of first fruits. We are a part of God's plan that will eventually include all nations, all peoples, most of whom are blinded and who do not know the truth. So we are called to be very, very special. God's word is truth, and we're begotten, sanctified by the word of truth. I'll just give you a couple references here as to another Reference and description of truth, Psalm 119, verse 151. All your commandments are truth. Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. Now, God has given us special understanding. He sanctified us. But has God revealed to the world fundamental truth and reality? Romans, the first chapter, answers that question. 
I think you all know that. Romans, the first chapter, very revealing section here, verse 16 of Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm going to be coming back to this, so I want you to take note of this expression, the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. We have been criticized because we talk about the kingdom of God and salvation. It is not either or, as we'll discover later on in the sermon. It is both and. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the gospel of Christ. And it is the power of God unto salvation. If you don't have that, you're not going to be saved. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But I want to answer the question here, has God revealed fundamental truth to all human beings? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, they know the truth, but they suppress the truth. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. They should know better. The whole creation proves the existence of God. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so the agnostics and atheists and evolutionists who ridicule the word of God are without excuse, and they will be in the judgment. We choose the full truth and not not just part of the truth. We seek the whole truth. But how can we understand truth? Turn back to Daniel, the ninth chapter. Daniel 9. Those individuals in Romans, the first chapter, rejected truth and then served the creature more than the Creator. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, verse 25. But here in Daniel 9, we find out how we can understand truth, or one of the ways to understand truth. Daniel 9, verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Remember Daniel's writing this in the Babylonian captivity. Yet made we not our prayer before the eternal our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So lack of understanding came because of iniquities, because of not turning from those iniquities and praying. We made not our prayer before the eternal, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So if anyone wants to really understand the truth, he or she must pray and turn from iniquity. And, of course, he goes on to say, Therefore, verse 14, has the eternal washed upon the evil and brought it upon us. As we repent and begin to practice God's truth, his commandments, then we come to understand truth. There's another hindrance to the truth. Sin is deceptive. But when we repent of sin, we can begin to understand. There are other hindrances to the truth and the whole truth, spiritual truth. And that is, as some of you know, is that individuals who study the Bible on a particular topic or a particular belief will take just one scripture and reject all the others that apply to that same topic or that same belief. We might turn to uh, Matthew 24, and this is a little humorous one, but uh, Mr. Armstrong would tell the story. Maybe Mr. Meredith can uh, confirm it. But nonetheless, apparently there were <clears throat> at one time a hairstyle uh, that uh, a particular pastor did not want in his church. And it was the, the top knot uh, style, or the top knot on top of the, the hair. And, and uh, he said, now, ladies, it's in the Bible. You should not wear that top knot style. Will you see that here in the Bible? Matthew 24. It's right there before your eyes. 
Verse 17, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Now, he just read the word top not come down. So when you take selective verses in the Bible, you can, as they say, you can almost teach anything or preach anything that's not true. Well, how true that is, I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it makes an interesting illustration of how people can pervert the Scriptures and twist the Scriptures and misuse them. But Mr. Armstrong had to face that in his ministry. He was uh, heckled uh, on the spot many times. In fact, uh, if you read his uh, autobiography, uh, Volume 1, uh, there was one individual who was, had the greatest uh, theological library in that particular area of uh, Oregon, and he would have a lot of fun, it seemed, putting preachers on the spot and uh, tried to challenge Mr. Armstrong four times. Um, one time, uh, as Mr. Armstrong was writing here, Mr. Belshaw, as he was called, uh, attended one of the uh, meetings that Mr. Armstrong had, and he didn't say anything the first time, but the second time uh, he stood up, Mr. Armstrong, uh, can I ask you a question? And uh, he said, uh, let me just see if I can find it here. He said, uh, may I ask you a question? Yes, sir, Mr. Belshaw, I replied, writes Mr. Armstrong, you may. Have you been saved yet? Instantly, I knew what his trap was. He expected me to say that I had been, of course. Then he would have asked me if I did not know what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13. So I immediately quoted the scripture to him. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, Mr. Armstrong said to Mr. Belshaw, that he that shall endure to the end the same shall be saved. And in the very next verse, Jesus also said that his gospel of the kingdom, which is the rule of God, the keeping of his commandments shall be preached in all the world as a witness. That is what I am doing here tonight. Why do you not obey the commandments as Jesus said, Mr. Belshaw? I knew that Mr. Belshaw argued against the Ten Commandments. I would if I could see any love in them, he replied. Mr. Armstrong then said, Then you must be spiritually blind, I said, The Ten Commandments are merely the ten points of the great law of love. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six, how to love your neighbor. The Bible says love is the fulfilling of the law. The commandments came from God, and God is love. He gave the commandments. Do you think think God ever did anything that was not done in love? Mr. Belshaw had no answer. He was silenced for the night, but he was not through. He tried to trap me with the scriptures three more times in later meetings. The news spread. So as the news spread, people got interested and they wanted to come to the meeting so they could see this conflict take place in future meetings. Well, I won't tell you. uh, I may come back to one of the other ones a little later. But the next one was not Mr. Belshaw, but it was another individual who was apparently a preacher. And in those days, it was traditional that a guest preacher would give the opening prayer. And the final Sunday night, this is page 511, heckled again and again is the subhead of the autobiography. The final Sunday night, beginning the last night of the meetings, a young minister who also fought against God's law came as a visitor. It was custom to ask visiting ministers to lead in prayer a custom from which I have long since learned to depart. (laughs) I asked him to lead in prayer. My sermon topic had been announced. He knew I was going to speak on the subject of God's Sabbath. In his prayer, this young preacher did his best to belittle me, discredit everything I thought I could say in my sermon, and give the impression I was not preaching the gospel. So this visiting minister began to pray. I thank thee, O Lord, he prayed in a strong voice, that we have a Christ to worship and not a day. Help us, O Lord, to preach Christ and him crucified, not about days and laws. Help us to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. As he prayed, I realized he was trying to knock my sermon as some kind of a cock hat before I could start preaching it. 
that unless I had the right answer, his prayer would cause many to be prejudiced and to reject everything I would say. As he prayed, I prayed desperately, asking God to put the right answer in my mind. God did. Instantly, I knew what to say. So Mr. Armstrong said to the audience after the prayer, I am glad to know that Mr., I don't remember his name, says he is determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, for I too am of the same determination. I am going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified tonight. But to do that, one must first know why Jesus Christ had to be crucified. I have just received a letter from my wife in Salem, I continued. She wrote me that our elder little son, Richard David, five years old, has just preached his first sermon. He too preached Christ crucified. He and another little boy were playing by the side of our house. The window was open and my wife overheard the conversation. The other little boy had been using a lot of slang. Our Dickie was exasperated. He picked up two sticks, crossing the longer one with the shorter one. Now you look here, Donald, said Dickie with flashing indignation. Do you know what this is? No, answered Donald. Well, this here is a cross, and they had to put Jesus Christ up on that cross and drive nails through his hands and his feet and nail him to that cross so he would die just because you had been saying gosh and darn and gee whiz. Don't you say those words anymore. That was Dickie, age five. And I wonder, I continue, if people realize that sin is the transgression of God's law and that Jesus Christ was crucified because you people have been transgressing his holy Sabbath. That was the original topic that Mr. Armstrong was to speak upon. Don't you profane what is holy to God anymore. And now I propose to preach to you Christ crucified tonight and why he was crucified. My young preacher guest in white-hot anger stomped out of the schoolhouse to the accompaniment of the laughter of the audience, all of whom apparently delighted to see the tables turned on one who took a hostile advantage of a friendly invitation to lead in prayer. He had merely provided me with the most effective possible introduction for my sermon. (laughs) But you see what part of the problem is, is that this particular visiting minister fixated on just one part of the gospel. And our critics have done that as well. They fixate on just one expression, like the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and can't be open to further truth. They limit the gospel. And this individual tried to limit the gospel in his own way. Because, yes, Mr. Armstrong did preach Christ in him crucified and why he was crucified. But the gospel is more expansive and contains much more truth and information. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by a few words of God. No, it wasn't a few words or selective words, but by every word of God. So we have to come to understand. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, because it is a part of the gospel. It is a part of the word of God. And we need to, brethren, be understanding and not be deceived by these kinds of narrow arguments that are selective and do not include the totality of the subject or the references on a particular subject. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and verse 1. This visiting minister referred to this verse. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not of excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, but I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, when you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that the Apostle Paul spoke more of the implication of the crucifixion of Christ. He talked about the Passover in 1 Corinthians, uh, the fifth chapter. And in 2 Corinthians, he talked about the forgiveness and the devices of Satan. So we have to understand that we do not limit the knowledge and the truth of God to one descriptor, whether the descriptor is I'm preaching unto you Christ, 
or I'm preaching unto you the gospel of the kingdom of God, or I'm going to preach unto you, as we'll see later, other descriptions of the gospel. And ten times, at least ten times, you have the expression in the New Testament, the gospel of Christ. It's Christ's message. But it does include quite a bit of information that has to do with salvation, as we already saw in Romans 1 when Paul said, the gospel is the power of salvation. It includes salvation, not just one focused element. So God understands, I'm just giving you this illustration of how we have hindrances to understanding the truth, that people are narrow-minded and argue with one point and not completing the totality of the picture. How else do we understand the truth? We're right here in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. We read this last time. But as it is written, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love them. You cannot know, apart from God's Spirit, what the future holds. You cannot know spiritual truth. It is revealed by God. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So God has revealed those to us not through the physical elements, not through words of man's wisdom, but through His Spirit and, of course, the revealed Word of God, the Bible. We understand the Bible and the truth because God reveals it to us. It reveals the answers to the great questions of life. What is the purpose of life? What is our future? Why is there suffering? I addressed a couple of those issues in the sermon last time. But only God can open our minds to the, not only the basics, but the deep things of God. As Jesus said in Luke 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. So God has revealed the deep things, deep truths to us, because we are willing to live by those every, every word of God and not just by some of God's words. In the remainder of the sermon, I'm going to share with you, or attempt to share with you, seven ways to apply the truth. The last sermon was treasure the truth, this is live the truth, and seven ways we can apply and treasure the truth. Number one is that we seek the truth. Let's turn to Hosea, the fourth chapter. The world does not seek the truth. We found in Romans 1 that there are those who actually suppress the truth. Hosea, the fourth chapter. God indicts the United States and British-descended peoples. Hosea, the fourth chapter, verse 1. Hear the word of the Eternal, you children of Israel. For the Eternal is a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. I think some of you have been reading here recently how uh, the city of Charlotte uh, and that certain uh, population size is the eighth uh, most crime-ridden city in the United States. Uh, Of course, the uh, deputy sheriff said that he didn't think that was true, uh, so I felt comforted by that. But nonetheless... (laughs) Uh, this is the general way. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwells therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the air. Yes, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Or as the Moffat translation has it, and the very fish within the sea are perishing. You saw the uh, New York Times yesterday or the Charlotte Observer uh, one scientist has come out with a prediction that if the current trends remain in place, there will be no sea life remaining in the sea that is alive by 2048. Of course, uh, there have been other uh, objections to that particular study, but nonetheless, uh, that was his uh, not prediction, but projection, as he distinguished, made the distinction. 
But nonetheless, God says that with the fowls of heaven, yes, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. And you read about that in the book of Revelation. Verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Now, what kind of knowledge is he talking about? Material knowledge, scientific knowledge, technical knowledge? No, he's talking about spiritual knowledge. I will also reject you that you shall be no priest to me. Well, God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. We're to be kings and priests and to reign on the earth. That you shall be no priest to me, seeing that you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So God indicts this nation, saying there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And we, brethren, have to be lights in the world, so we stand up to that. In the uh, Tomorrow's World magazine article on America's moral meltdown, meltdown, I quoted from a Barna report on the decay of morality. And Barna had six or seven different areas of morality in which he questioned, uh, well, Protestants and Catholics and others. As a part of that result of that uh, report, even a majority of those who call themselves Christian were supportive of cohabitation, that is, unmarried people living together sexually. 66% of self-described Roman Catholics and 50% of Protestants said they believe it is okay for men and women to live together outside of marriage. There's no truth nor knowledge of God in the land. That's not biblical. Today, even many who call themselves religious just follow along with the immoral crowd and commit fornication and adultery. Let's turn back to uh, Psalm 25. Again, one of my favorite scriptures. Psalm 25. Because God will give us an understanding of truth, but as those who apostatize and stop keeping the commandments, stop keeping the festivals and the holy days... Uh, They've lost understanding of God's plan of salvation. We have all the the seven festivals and seven holy days from the Passover to the last great day give us great understanding of God's truth. And many have lost that understanding. Verse 4, Psalm 25. Do you pray this way? Show me your ways, O eternal. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you do I wait all the day. We need to pray that God will give us understanding of the truth. As I may have pointed out last time, when I was 12 years old, I was reading uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter, and it was just a shock because I wanted to know who this Jesus was that I'd heard about in Sunday school, and I thought I would just read about it for my own. Let's turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and so... I found out a truth, even as a 12-year-old, that really startled me. As I said, I had been doing some little boxing, and, but when I read this, I was shocked. Matthew, the fifth chapter, and verse 38. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, What? I mean, if someone slaps me on the cheek, I'm supposed to not get him back? I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? Well, that was shocking to me as a little boy. It made a, a tremendous impression on me, and I accepted it. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 2 and verse 15. So as we seek the truth, I hope all of us, brethren, are in the Bible habit that we realize this is truth. This is my source of spiritual life, truth, and understanding. And therefore, I need to imbibe of the words of life daily. First Timothy, the second chapter. I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Second uh, Timothy two and verse fifteen. In the King James, it says, "Study to show yourself." Really, it means to be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to not dissemble or to 
misinterpret the word or truth as others have in the past and the illustrations I've already given who use a part of the truth and false arguments for the rest of the sentence and the topic. Rightly dividing the word of truth, or as the RSV has it, rightly handling the word of truth. Remember the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true. That's Acts 17, verse 11. They searched the scriptures daily. And we need to read the Bible daily. It's particularly in this day and age when people are going to be uh, leaving the truth. They're being tested. They're being sorted. The problem, of course, is that for many people today is that they run away from the truth or they ignore the truth or they reject the truth. Um, Mr. Meredith has used this uh, quote. I don't think he'll mind my using this Winston Churchill quote. Churchill was referring to a political opponent, was Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin. And Churchill said, quote, Occasionally he, talking about his political opponent, stumbled over the truth, but hastily picked himself up and hurried on as if nothing had happened. And this is true to many people. In fact, Mr. Davis was telling me here uh, recently, a woman who had called to talk to a minister at headquarters. She talked to him and she said, and I'm paraphrasing, your magazine has so much good spiritual information, but please take me off your mailing list. I would have to change my life if I keep reading your magazine. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm not going to face the reality. I'm not going to face the truth. I don't want to change my life. I want to be blinded spiritually and go on with my life doing what I've always done. So if we're going to love the truth and treasure the truth, we need to seek the truth. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. It's applying on today. God would bless our nations if we would execute judgment and seek the truth. Jeremiah 5.1 Run you to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, God tells Jeremiah, and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof if you can find a man. Jeremiah 5 verse 1 If there be any that execute judgment that seeks the truth and I will pardon it. Well, frankly, as I've already pointed out, God is delaying some judgments because of his people. He said he is going to preserve the earth for the elect's sake. And we are told to pray uh, prayers of intercessions for those who are in authority. It says in First Timothy, the second chapter. So key number one is to apply the truth and treasure the truth is to seek the truth. God said through Jeremiah that he would pardon Jerusalem if there were anyone who executed judgment and who seeks the truth. Number two is to renew the spirit of truth daily. John 16, verse 13. John 16. As you read through John 14 through 16, you get an understanding of God's Holy Spirit and what it means to each of us. John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That is an incredible benefit and gift and blessing that God gives us, that he will guide us into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We can understand the plan of prophecy. We can understand predictable events from the Bible and from Revelation. So God has given us the spirit of truth, but we need to renew that daily. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, obviously there is a constant contact that we need to have with God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. For which cause we faint not, uh, that is, all the trials he's gone through, but through our out, though our out man, outward man is perishing, or NIV, wasting away, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. 
again, is do you let a day go by without praying and studying the Bible or reading the Bible? The inner man is renewed day by day. And if you're seeking truth, you need the spirit of truth renewed daily. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians 4. You know, Ephesians 3, I'm sorry, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 give the contrast between the old man and the new man. Uh, The old man, even after baptism, you come up out of the water to walk in newness of life. And you're a new man, a new person. But the old man keeps trying to raise its human nature ugly head and to bite us and to uh, turn us back into carnality. But here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, that is to uh, walk in uh, uncleanness and greediness, If so, be that you have heard him, that you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Turn to 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. You know that scripture very well, but it's extremely, extremely vital and important to us because the apostle, uh, well, the evangelist Timothy apparently had some fears and was somewhat timid, so the apostle Paul was trying to strengthen him, encourage him to be more bold and not be fearful. Wherefore, verse 6, 2 Timothy 1, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift which is in you by the putting on of my hands, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So point number two is to renew the spirit of truth daily. Pray every day and stir up the spirit of truth. Number three is to obey the truth. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. I know the apostasy when it began several, quite a few years ago now, was uh, when you use the word obey, somehow they didn't like that term because it seemed to indicate to their way of thinking, which was a wrong way of thinking, that it was a salvation by works. If you obey God, then you've got to somehow do some kind of works. I didn't quite understand it. I had an article in Tomorrow's World magazine entitled, Must You Obey God to Be Saved? (laughs) The answer is, of course, yes. Of course, God's not going to save a rebel. You've got to be obedient to him. First Peter 1 and verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the Scriptures tell us we need to obey the truth. And we do that as one application in sincere love of the brethren, loving one another, Fervently with a pure heart. Galatians, the third chapter. Let's turn back there. Galatians, the third chapter. Somehow, human nature just does not like the word command, obey. Oh, those are such terrible words. Yet Jesus said, I give you a commandment that you love one another. Now, is that so difficult. I mean, does your human nature rebel at the word commandment? Or do you want to respond and say, yes, I I do want to fulfill that instruction. Uh, Galatians, see, Galatians is right before Ephesians 3 and verse 1. You're already there. Where the Apostle Paul is talking about the false gospels uh, that were being preached. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Well, they were going after a false religion, a false theology, which they were told they had to be circumcised and justified by circumcision. The Apostle Paul uh, strongly uh, objected to that and uh, refuted that and throughout the book of Galatians, Galatians 5 and verse 7. Galatians 5, verse 7. Know you therefore, 
sorry, Galatians 5, pages are stuck together. I think some of I should have that. Some of you, if any of you have that, uh, that humorous one where they, uh, where the pages are stuck together in the Bible, and it says that she was uh, very uh, heavy, and you turn the page and stuck together, and it's giving dimensions of the Noah's Ark, and she was like, you know, 20 pounds. If any of you have that, that humorous uh, story, let me know. Uh, you want to make sure your pages don't stick together. Galatians 5 and uh, verse 7. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So are we obeying the truth? I hope that we are doing that. In uh, the May-June 2006 Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, Mr. Meredith's article on Do You Live by What Christ Taught? He says this on page 5, Dear friends, for your own sake, please consider whether you are truly following the whole counsel of God. The heading is Get Back to the Truth. To which Paul had just referred earlier in his inspired writings. It's quoting Acts, the 20th chapter, verses 29 through 31. To which Paul had just referred earlier in his inspired writings. Certainly most of you may understand part of the Bible, part of Christ's true teachings, and perhaps a little bit regarding prophecy and the awesome purpose for which God created you. However, just accepting Jesus, joining some church down the street, and hoping to float off to heaven when you die is not what true Christianity is all about. Most who call themselves Christian have never been taught the full purpose of human existence. It is vital that you come to fully understand and follow the whole counsel of God. We'll find that scripture here a little later. Well, he gives the reference here. The whole counsel of Almighty God, Acts 20, verse 27. And that's a part of our mission statement of the church. I want to take a little more time on this particular point to address what I've already hinted at, a problem that some of our brethren have had and some have gone astray. And the problem is that they have been deceived by focusing on only a part of the counsel of God. One illustration is our statement of fundamental beliefs for the living church of God. We tell, say, give the church its name and mission. The church fulfills a threefold mission. One, to preach the true gospel of the kingdom of God, gives uh, references, and the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 8, verse 12. It isn't one or the other. It isn't either the name of Jesus Christ or the kingdom of God. The mission is to preach the true gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8.12, to all nations as a witness. Two, to feed the flock and organize local church congregations to provide for the spiritual and material needs of our members as God makes it possible. Three, to preach the end-time prophecies and to warn the English-speaking nations and all the world of the coming great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21. Any objection? No, right down the line. Mission one, mission two, mission three. Very biblical, very straightforward. Then we have a section following that says the gospel. The gospel of Christ is the good news of the forgiveness of our sins through Christ's sacrifice and of the soon coming kingdom and government of God. Christ's gospel of the kingdom of God reveals the means by which we are qualified by God to be ruling members of his kingdom. And then it gives all of the scriptures. So some believe that this statement, which includes Christ's sacrifice, is watering down the gospel. And as one critic put it, this is contrary to what God restored to his church through Mr. Armstrong. No, it is not contrary to what God restored through his church through Mr. Armstrong. What God restored through Mr. Armstrong was not an artificial either-or definition of terms. This criticism of our biblical beliefs denies a comprehensive understanding of the true gospel. It limits the gospel. That criticism does. Our approach does not limit the gospel. How does the Bible describe the gospel? I've already given you some examples. Uh, We already read 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, that 
Paul said that he would determine to know nothing among them but Christ crucified. But that doesn't limit. That's only one portion of the preaching message. Let's turn to Acts, the 20th chapter, Acts 20. Dr. Douglas O'Neill covered this in an excellent Bible study a few nights ago. Acts 20 and uh, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Uh Uh-oh. We have an expression here, the gospel of the grace of God. It, It doesn't say the gospel of the kingdom of God. Therefore, Was Paul wrong? According to these critics, you can only use one descriptor, and you apply that description. No, the Bible puts you put everything together on one topic so you can have a full understanding of what the good news is. And so he goes on to say here, the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He calls it the gospel of grace of God, but he was preaching the kingdom of God. Those are not contradictory. And yet our critics want to make it appear as if anything other than the expression the kingdom of God and their definition of it is somehow watering down the truth. On the contrary, it is fulfilling the truth, filling full than understanding and comprehension of the gospel. The gospel of grace is not contrary to the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is complementary. Uh, did Mr. Armstrong deny this scripture? Of course not. Acts, the 20th chapter, uh, let's see, we just read that one, verse, well, verse 20. Uh, you know, back up here. Um, He says in verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. So what did the Apostle Paul preach? Is this preaching of repentance and faith contrary to what God restored through Mr. Armstrong? I was listening yesterday to an old radio broadcast by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. He was powerfully proclaiming the true way to salvation. He was talking about Romans, the fifth chapter, and how we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He was quoting Romans 5.10. Mr. Armstrong didn't play this game of contradictory terms. He preached the full gospel of God. Let's take a look at, uh, well, let me just read this to you, and I would really recommend this. I I know I was asked years ago, uh, Mr. Meredith's booklet on, Do You Believe the True Gospel? I was asked to edit it, and I think the purpose of the asking me to edit it was to find some errors in it. (laughs) However, I found out there were a few uh, proofreading edits, but it is a powerful booklet. It is a comprehensive explanation of the true gospel. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's one of our uh, well, all of them are inspiring booklets, but this is an extremely inspiring booklet. I want to just read uh, from page 35 of this booklet. What wonderful good news, good news, of course, for gospel. What wonderful good news it is to be delivered from sin through Christ, Mr. Meredith writes. And he quotes Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Yes, it is also good news to truly know our Father and Savior and to receive God's empowering Holy Spirit, which enables us to live the life God wants us to live, What good news to all humanity that we can experience the real joy of salvation, the love, the peace of mind, and the deep sense of purpose that we have never before experienced. 
The kingdom of God would not be such a wonderful message if there were no way that we could be a part of it. But thankfully, God in His great love and mercy has provided a way, the way, through the death and resurrected life of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. What awesome and marvelous good news that really is. I think Mr. Meredith wrote a very piquant and eloquent statement of the effect of the gospel. I might just mention, uh, we saw right there, it was the gospel of your salvation. It was good news. That's the, the scripture that was there in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. I'll just give you another reference because of, of time. Uh, Romans, the uh, 10th chapter, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I'll just give you another reference here. Uh, These are expressions of the gospel, good news. Ephesians 6, verse 15, we put on the whole armor of God. And what do we put on our feet? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Just as in Romans 10, 15, in Ephesians 6, 15, it mentions the gospel of peace. There are so many other scriptures, but let's just turn to Acts, the 17th chapter. And again, what I'm pointing out here, brethren, is an error that some of our brethren have fallen into, and they are taking a word game and being deceived by others into thinking that when you put all of the scriptures together, you're watering down some supposed mission of the church, and that is not true at all. We are striving to preach the full gospel, the full counsel of God. Acts, the 17th chapter, uh, when Paul was in Athens, what did he preach? Did uh, Luke say, oh, Paul was preaching about, uh, you know, forgiveness and uh, Jesus, and therefore, you know, he really watered down the gospel? Um, Acts, the 17th chapter, and verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and said, so, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange God. And Luke writes, Why? Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, did Mr. Armstrong deny these scriptures? Of course not. Our statement of belief is biblical. Mr. Armstrong preached the repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached the gospel of peace. He preached the gospel of grace. He preached the gospel of your salvation. So did the Apostle Paul, and so do we. And we thank God for the privilege of doing that. That is a part of our mission statement. Uh, Just one more example of, again, brethren, is to show you how not to... uh, Study the scriptures, Matthew twenty three twenty three, and Jesus said, and you know this is just powerful. Just read the rest of the chapter here, how Jesus was just blasting, excoriating, judging um, the uh, Pharisees. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith or faithfulness. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So it is not either or, it is both and. You tithe, but you also include the weightier matters of the law. As one, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, one preacher said, oh, see there, see, this is the weightier matters of the law. Well, he was trying to... Uh, denigrate the law, but he neglected to realize that these elements, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, are weightier matters of the law, not contrary to the law, as he was trying to uh, preach. 
I'll just give you those references because of time, but Acts, uh, the 8th chapter, um, in verse 12, we've already referenced that in the Scriptures and the Statement of Beliefs, that Philip was preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Uh, Acts 28, and you turn there to the last part of uh, the book of Acts where Paul was preaching. Acts, and what did he preach? So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, verse 23, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And then verse uh, 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. I'll give you one more reference, again, because of time. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, where Paul says, Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved. And he talked about Christ was died for our sins, was buried, and was resurrected. So, again, the gospel is referred to in the Scriptures as Christ dying for our sins. It has to do with redemption, and it has to do with, again, the whole kingdom of God and all its implications. I hope, brethren, that one of the elements, and I fear for some of those who have gone astray in some of these ways uh, because they have not embraced the full gospel, let's take a look at Mark, and it's a warning for all of us, Mark, the eighth chapter, because when you begin to say that Christ is not a part of the gospel and that the message of his resurrection, the message of his sacrifice for our sins is not a part of the gospel of Christ or is not a part of the good news of the Bible, you, I believe, are in danger because it is not either Christ or the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is both. And Jesus warns us that those who are going to neglect him, they may say, okay, it's the kingdom of God, but I'm going to neglect Christ. They are in danger. Mark 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for what? For my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Verse 38, whosoever there shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. So, brethren, the truth is not either or. It is a combination of all of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, I've covered three of the seven points that I was uh, going to give you, and uh, we'll leave the four for some other time, unless you want me to stay until midnight. But, as I said the last time, we have a mission to accomplish, and that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, to feed the flock, because the Apostle Paul warns in 2 Timothy 4 that some will go after teachers having itching ears. Now, the teachers don't have itching ears. The individuals have itching ears. They want to hear something new, and they go after other teachers, and it says they, what? Turn from the truth. And that's happening. Don't let it happen to you. We feed the flock. We preach the Ezekiel warning. We restore the Christianity of Christ and the apostles, that is, restoring apostolic Christianity. Let's take a look at one final scripture, uh, Zechariah, the eighth chapter. Zechariah, the eighth chapter. So obviously, how are we going to perform that mission that God gives us? Well, Christ said he has all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, he says, go into all the nations and make disciples 
of all people. And so we are striving with our whole being to follow the mission that Christ has given us. Zechariah, the eighth chapter, gives us a beautiful picture of the future. In verse 1, Zechariah, the eighth chapter, again the word of the Eternal of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus says the Eternal, verse 3, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Christ, who is called in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is going to dwell there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, the mountain of the eternal of hosts, the holy mountain. So, brethren, let's faithfully carry out our mission, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Mr. Herbert Armstrong did, the Apostle Paul did, and all other faithful New Testament saints and servants. Let's be faithful guardians of the truth, let's treasure the truth, and let's always walk in the truth.